Hey, and welcome to another episode of the All In Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Charles Robinson, aka Traps. He's a fitness and mindset coach, a gym owner, American Ninja Warrior competitor, rugby player, and now he reveals actually a second sport that he is gunning for. He is trying to make the Olympics in the sport of rugby, and I won't reveal that second sport, but he will in this podcast. We talk a lot about his story, where he went from escaping a rough neighborhood, going into the military, coming back, being homeless for two years and dealing with mental health, and then how fitness actually saved his life. There's a lot of great nuggets of wisdom in this podcast, and I know you'll really enjoy it and be motivated. So without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. Hey, welcome to the All In Podcast. This week we're joined by Traps. Traps is a fitness and mindset coach, a gym owner, American Ninja Warrior, and a rugby player. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. I'm so super excited about this. Uh, I'm ready to roll. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to dive into your story. The, the first thing I want to start things off with is I know you're big about transforming the mind and then the body. Why do you think it's so important to start with the mind? I believe it's important to start with the mind and it's something I, I've experienced and put myself through. If you don't have it mentally, I truly believe that you never will have it physically. You will see, you know, small results. You'll see minimal results, but you'll never be completely fulfilled with the transition and the transformation if you don't have it mentally first, you know, because it, it forces you to have a different perspective and it also challenges your current perspective about yourself. And this is not even about just fitness. It's, it's about life itself as well. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I assume like when someone comes in to see you, maybe they have weight to lose or there's obvious physical things. What are some of those mental things that you see often that they need to improve on? So the funny thing about that is they, they never... Unless they're just, you know, a client that needs someone to talk to. And a lot of people do. Everyone needs someone to talk to. But when they come in, you know, if they don't dive right into the actual reason they're there, it's never physical. It's always mental. So what I do is I ask them five or six times. I'm like, why? You want to lose weight? Why? You know, I want to live a healthier lifestyle. Why? And then when you get to that third, that fourth, that fifth, that sixth, why? Then you find out the real reason why they're there. It could be because they have a, a long underlying heart condition or they had parents that died or grandparents that died. Um, they want to honor someone. They want to live longer for their kids. You know, it's always a deeper reason for why they're there. It's never really there for them for themselves. Yes, that might be a small goal and on the front face, on the front face, but behind that, it's always something deeper than that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, they set like means goals instead of end goals. So um, they don't realize that the end goal might be they want to spend more time playing with their grandchildren or something like that. But they set a goal of like, I want to lose weight. And so I love that you ask them why and dig down into the real reason. Absolutely. And they, they get tired of like, would you just leave me alone? I'm like, no, I want not just leave you alone because it's so much bigger, you know, than just fitness and just working out and, you know, transformations and stuff like that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And it kind of goes back, you know, David Goggins, he's all about training the body to train the mind. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, you know, physical fitness really allows us to tap into something that we might not be able to tap into just in everyday life, because we get competitive, we start pushing ourselves, we get to points of discomfort, which we might not do when we're just, you know, working on our computers all day. Absolutely. I agree. Totally. 
I want to, I want to dive into, uh, your goal with, I know you have in your bio future Olympian, um, and you're training for the sport of rugby. Uh, I'm so pumped. And I know it was our mutual friend, Carlin. I read that that kind of got you into that world. Yes. Yes. We, uh, man, me and Carlin have, we go back years. We've known each other for so long. We've met, wow. uh, we first met through Red Bull cause we both worked with them. Um, so we met, we, we were doing a project and activation in LA and that's where we met, but we've known about each other over social media for a long time. I truly believe when you put hard work into the atmosphere, those types of people, they really circle back around and it comes back, you know, people like that gravitate towards you. So we were just talking one day on, on the phone, texting. He was like, man, you ever thought about playing rugby? I'm like, no. What the, I'm like, what the H is that? I'm like, well, I don't know what the heck that is. But I looked it up and I'm like, man, that looks super fun. And I'm like a super, when it comes to sports, I'm a super aggressive and competitive individual. So I'm like, oh, snap. Rugby is probably one of the hardest sports I've ever played in my life. Oh, you have to be so fit. It's crazy. Oh, my people have no idea. You have to put speed, power, agility, endurance all in one. Like I played at a pretty high level of tackle football. So I'm a professional and got to play with a couple of professional guys as well. The average play for NFL football is maybe like what? Six seconds. The average play for rugby is like 30 seconds. Right. That is a long time to be running full speed. It really comes down to like who's in better shape. Yeah. But it's it, look, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the camaraderie, you know, I love it. You know, it, awesome. it's nothing like it. Yeah, rugby definitely seems like a sport where there's more people involved. Like in football, if, you know, the pass goes to the receiver, the other receivers are kind of like out of the play. But in rugby, like you never know when you can be brought into the play. <laughs> Literally, you can get you can pass the ball and you can get it right back. So you have to be on all 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 T's and I's all the time. That is crazy. Is there, is there a certain position that you play? I play wing. I play seven rugby and I play wing for the Chicago Lions. Okay. Okay. And I don't know a ton about rugby. Uh, we did have Carlin on here and, uh, and I honestly, I couldn't tell you what position he plays. Either. Oh, he so plays wing. He plays wing too. Okay. So you got to be fast. Definitely. Definitely. He plays wing for sure. So wh what is that position like comparable to? Is that like kind of like a receiver type position? Like you're doing a lot of the running? Yes, it is. So the wing, the object or the goal is to get the ball out to the wing because okay. the, the wings are naturally they're the fastest people on the field. Okay. But being playing the wing, you still have to be able to have defense as well. Right. So, you know, you can get the ball. If you, if you don't have a goal, that's what we call have score, like attempting to score a try, like have a go. If you don't get it, you know, obviously you pass it back in, but you got to be ready to get back on defense just in case something happens. So there's really no downtime. You know, oh you have gosh. to be just as good offensively as you are defensively and vice versa. Yeah. You know, rugby is such an underrated sport when it comes to athleticism, but I, I truly Absolutely. believe rugby players are some of the most athletic athletes on earth. I agree totally. And I, I would, I would argue that some of the fastest athletes are on rugby field as well. Yeah. Well, you look at Carlin, yeah. like insanely yeah. fast. Yeah. Him, Perry Baker, like all those guys. I'm like, guys, those are like, that's like Olympic type speed right there. <laughs> yeah. And then to like be able to kind of maintain for a long period of time, stay out on the field, the endurance, like you said, the agility piece, um, just even the skill work and the mental, like it's much more mental than, you know, you're just going out to run a hundred meter race straight forward. Absolutely. I agree. Crazy, crazy. So uh, what, what is your sporting background? So I've been a three-sport athlete my entire life, football, wrestling, and track and field as well. 
Okay. But I actually yeah. started off when I was younger, I started off playing baseball. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You know what? B- baseball, I find, is like the exact opposite of rugby. Like you're just waiting for a moment and it's that split <laughs> second time. Yeah. There. No, it was, it was fun, though. It was definitely fun, though. But football, wrestling, and track, you know, they will always have my heart, always. That's awesome. And I, I think, does Carlin do wrestling, too? Is this like a common trend with rugby players? He, I think he wrestled a little bit, you know, back in high school. But wrestling is, is similar to rugby as well, you know, having that body, body control, having that positioning. So if you're a wrestler, uh, nine times out of ten, it's going to translate well to rugby field as well. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like we had a rugby team at high school and uh, it was not any good. And I was always blown away because especially for the women's rugby team, it was kind of like the girls who never played any other sport got into it. And the amount of injuries that occurred was absolutely mind blowing. Everyone was tearing ACLs, concussions, shoulders, and it's definitely doesn't seem like a sport that you should go into without kind of like that athletic base or platform to go from. Absolutely. And let me make this very clear. So you know how some sports, you know, I'm not trying to be gender specific, but I am. Some sports, you know, between men and women, there's an extreme drop off. Yeah. Not when it comes to rugby. Hmm. That is not the case. Like it's very, I wouldn't say undervalued, but it's overlooked as far as women's rugby. Like those women out there are just as fast and just as physical. And people don't re- realize it. I'm like, there are like some really talented women rugby players out there. So shout out to them, seriously. That's and awesome. I only say this because we because we train with the, the women's seven teams here. You okay. know, when it comes to working out and then drilling, so we we see this. So yeah, I, you one of my good friends. She played competitive rugby, and I went to go see a game two summers ago, and I was mind blown. Like it is such a an intense sport, mentally and physically. And so, props to you for uh, being in yes. the rugby in the rugby world because you know I think it doesn't get as much respect as it should. Absolutely. So I want to I want to go back to kind of like your childhood and walk through your story. Um, could you walk us through like I know just from kind of my research and looking into what you do that you kind of grew up in, a, in an environment that maybe wasn't conducive to, you know, pursuing high performance in sport. And um, and then that led you to the military and different things. Could you walk through that whole process? Absolutely. So, you know, I grew up in Chicago, but I was raised in Maywood. So it's like a city next to it. It's like three minutes away. So it's not that big of a gap. So, you know, coming up in those type of environments, you know, it's rough, it's tough. And there's literally like the only the strong survive as far as, as far as coming up there, you see a lot of things that a lot of people don't see growing up, you know, whether it be gang violence, whether it be, you know, excuse my language, but crackheads, you know, uh, shootings, drive-bys, stuff like that. So growing up in that type of environment, you, you grow up kind of early. And then, uh, unfortunately, you know, having dealt with losing friends to gang violence, it almost makes you feel numb. A lot of times, sport is the way to make it out. For me, right. you know, I wasn't fortunate enough to make it out as far as sports. I just took a leap of faith. You know, I went to college for a little bit, played junior college football. Um, after that, I went to the military. So that was how I got out. You know, it was either me go back to the hood or 
you know, do military. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I made the right decision. I chose to go to the Marines. So shout out to the Marine Corps for accepting me and all my flaws. I appreciate it. <laughs> so how was that experience and how long did you spend there? And then when did you step away from the military? So I went in in 2009 and I got out until I did four years and then I did one tour to Afghanistan in 2010. Extreme and a life-changing experience, I'll say. Wow. Yeah, well, for first off, thank you for your service. Um, and second, how did that then transition into, um, you know, kind of, I know that you've discussed like a, a tough period after that. And then how did you go through that tough period and end up starting a gym in this new life that you built? So I believe the the mental fortitude of things is what really gave me the edge as far as transitioning into life. It, it was definitely tough, you know, coming from people don't understand how hard it is to transform from being militant to being human. That is such a hard transition to make, especially when you have been deployed to a third world country like Afghanistan or Iraq or, you know, wherever they might be fighting wars at. That was more so the hardest part. You know, there would be days where I'd be having flashbacks. You know, there'd be days when I have, I hear loud noises and I jump, um, you know, battling a, like severe case of PTSD and anxiety, depression, uh, suicidal thoughts. And then on top of being homeless for two years, I really, I had to find myself when I lost myself. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I lost myself when I was at rock bottom. Once you're at rock bottom, there's no place to go but up. If you're right. still falling, if you're still falling, still falling, you haven't hit rock bottom yet. Trust me, you got more and you need to think. But once you hit that rock bottom, when you feel like you have nothing left, nothing, no more inside of you, then you, you get up and you can go nowhere but up. I really appreciate you sharing that. We talk a lot about athlete mental health on the podcast and it's a, a big part of my story, but I think also uh, talking about veteran mental health is extremely important. There's PTSD, depression, and these things that often aren't brought into light as much as they should be. Um, mm -hmm. how, how did you really get through that time, especially being homeless? And what do you still do today to manage your mental health? So during that time, I had... I had a couple of people that looked out for me. They made sure I was good, you know, when they could. But outside of that, uh, fitness, fitness was the big part of all of that. Like, I, if I didn't find fitness, I don't know where I would be. I, you know, I'd be lying if I say I knew where I'd be. If I didn't have fitness, <laughs> I really don't know if I'll even be here to be truthful with you. But that was the thing that kept me going and, tough time so I always told myself like even though I'm physically stuck here right now I will never allow my mental to be dormant I won't allow myself to lose sight of where I wanted to be that's that's what helped me the most could you walk me through like how who you found that got you into fitness and then um the lead up into starting your own gym and fitness business Absolutely. So originally how I started personal training, uh, well, fitness myself, you know, I, I really believe that fitness didn't change my life. Fitness saved my life. So as far as training myself, that's something that I, I dove into during those times where, you know, battling suicidal thoughts and, you know, 
when I was abusing alcohol and abusing drugs and stuff like that. Um, but as far as personal training clients, my cousin, he actually was a trainer long before I was about two or three years. So shout out to my cousin and my uncle, Kevin. They really got me into it. You know, we have a family owned gym here and they, they took me under their wings and they showed me the way, you know, different ways of doing this, different training methods, you know. So I really, when I first started at this time that, you know, I was still homeless. So I didn't have a car. I didn't have a cell phone. I literally had to walk two and a half miles to the gym to get there and, and learn and clean up the gym and stuff like that. I didn't really start to dive into my own clients until, you know, 2015, almost 2016. So, you know, just, you know, being willing to be a sponge and being willing to be a student of, you know, people that were actually doing a bit longer than me, that were better than me. You know, I think that really helped me out and what's made me so successful today. And even to this day, I'm still a, a sponge. I'm still a, a student. I'm, I have no mind. I have no problem with sitting down and <laughs> being quiet and letting someone teach me. And I do believe that's a true, that's a true trait that to success. I, I really do believe that. Right. I think that's so important. Always being able to learn from anyone that's around you. And sometimes I do think it takes maybe people, you know, kind of hitting rock bottom to build that mindset back up. Um, because I think some people who haven't had to experience adversity and hardships, uh, they might not have any moment where they've had to lean on people or had to kind of just, you know, take wisdom from other people or resources or help from other people to be able to build that mindset of being okay, being a beginner and starting from zero. Absolutely. So do you have any tips for anyone who might be going through some difficult times, whether it's they're in a rough environment that they want to get out of, or they've kind of hit that rock bottom for what they can do to, to get out of it? Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, this is something I learned over the course of years. You know, it's not your fault that you were dealt a bad hand. You know, the hand we were dealt, the life that we were dealt, we have no control over that. But you have to get to a certain point where you say enough is enough and not enough as enough as in you have enough energy to complain about it. But you have to have enough energy to actually want to take action and change it. You, you don't have to be a victim of your circumstances forever. You know, when life deals you a bad hand, it's, it's up to you to make the conscious decision to take that hand, reshuffle that deck and then play another hand. You know, and that's something I had to learn. It's like, am I going to sit here and, and soak and beat myself up? Because, you know, I grew up poor. I grew up in poverty. I've been through this, you know, self-sabotage, self uh, excuse me, self-sabotage, this right here, that right there. I'm like, no, I have 86,400 seconds. If God willing blesses me to see another day to change it. And that's really what I have to understand. Uh, I believe a lot of people think too far ahead into the future, you know, when really the future is not promised to anybody, what are you going to do today that is going to position you to, in a better position in the future is what really matters. You know, you, you can't control what's going to happen a day from now, a week from now, a month from now. You don't know what's going to happen. Life is so unpredictable that you can be here today and gone today. That's how unpredictable life is. I don't think many people think about it like that. You should be living every single day as if it's your last. Not saying it is your last, but if it is, you don't want to be laying on your deathbed like, man, I should have did this. I should have did that. Why not do it today? And that's something that I'm, I've trained myself to do. And I'm getting better at that every single day. Like, I'm not, I'm not perfect in no way, no shape or form. You know, I'm just putting my best foot forward every day just to be consistent and, you know, impact people. That's what it's about. Impact. That's all. 
when I when I when I depart from this earth, I want people to be like, you know, Traps, he did something in my life. He impacted me. And that's what it means the most to me. I love that. And I'm I'm seeing already that I'm sure you've had a huge impact on other people. And I'm sure through even just that motivational message you shared there, it fired me up and I'm sure it'll fire anyone listening up. So I really appreciate you sharing uh, that tip and that word of wisdom, because I do believe, you know, when you're on your deathbed and they've done some studies on this, people don't regret the things that they did do. They regret the things that they didn't. Um, and I think that should fire everybody up, but thinking that I don't want to have regrets at that when that day comes, I want to make sure if that day comes tomorrow, I've lived the best life today. Absolutely. And they, they said it best, you know, you've never seen a U-Haul <laughs> behind the hearse. <laughs> so, I mean, like, if you think about it, it's real, like all those dreams, aspirations, goals, you cannot take those with you. Even if you plant a small seed before you leave, whether it be tomorrow, next year, 10 years from now. But even if you plant a small seed, you will not have to live with a regret once you're gone because you know you did something. It might not it might not have been what you wanted, but you did something. I love that. That's awesome. I, I want to dive into your American Ninja Warrior experience. I know you were on American Ninja Warrior 8. How did you get into that? Because it seems like, you know, you played football, uh, baseball, wrestling, track. Um, and when I see like American Ninja Warrior, there's a lot of those people who are kind of the outdoor climbing athletes. So how did you make that transformation to competing in that type of sport? Ooh, ah, that's it. That's even that's the most of the subject right there. Uh, uh, yeah. Give me a second here. No problem. No problem. So I actually didn't know anything about American Ninja Warrior. Uh, so I had a a friend and a client. Her name is Linda Soto. Uh, she really. She brought me into that that world. I didn't know anything about it. She used to always say, I watch it every day and I think you should do this. Um, so I did that for her. I didn't do that for me. Um, she, she was brutally murdered oh, a few no. years ago. Uh, she was shot nine times. And then the person that shot her, he killed himself afterwards. Um, and actually, her her death anniversary is about five days from now. So that yeah, it kind of caught me off guard there. It's okay though, but I did that for her, and uh, I'm glad I did because I know she was smiling down on me, you know, proud of me. So that's how I got into that. Uh, I'm I'm so sorry to hear about her passing, and that it sounds awful, but you know, I I think that you. You know, you, you made her proud and doing that for her is such a great way to honor her legacy, especially if she was always pushing you to towards that and to do that. And it was her favorite show to watch. Yeah, she's she was definitely one of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. I think it's so cool how people can impact uh, our lives like that. And you said that she was a client of yours. Yeah, a client and a friend for sure. That's so awesome. Like, you know, I think people as clients, they go to someone like you um, and you impact them, but they can have the same impact on, on you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, she definitely did. Awesome. Do you have any plans of going back into the American Ninja Warrior space? I assume it doesn't really coincide with uh, the, the body type and training of rugby. 
Yeah, it definitely makes it challenging, but I do have plans on possibly making an, another appearance or actually I'll be submitting for the next season. This this season that's coming up now, they've already selected their, their competitors. So it'd be 2022. That is the goal. That would be awesome. I would love to watch that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely about 100 times harder than what it looks like. <laughs> uh, it looks absolutely insane. Um, I, I We have a training center around here that kind of has like the obstacle course type things. And I've been really curious. I mean, the gyms have been closed with, with the pandemic and everything. But when it opens, I want to go and just, just see what it's like. Because I, I do know it, it looks very hard and knowing training. I'm like, you know, people watch it on their couch and think, oh, that looks fine. But it, it is hard. It's definitely hard. It, but. It's a, it's a sport that everyone can do it. It could be modified and put together so anyone can do it. You know, for fun, if you want to do it for fun, you can. If you're an athlete, you know, if you train properly, anybody can do it. You know, it like I said, it's fun, it's competitive, but it's a community. Everyone supports each other, you know, so that's the biggest thing about it that I love. Mm, I love that. Uh, have you ever thought about the Titan Games? I don't know if you watched that one. I have thought about the Titan Games. Absolutely. I was it's funny. I was actually watching that um probably a couple weeks ago on uh NBC. That's the rock show, correct? Yes, yes. I have I have considered that. Hmm, who knows? I you know you know what? That's the show I really want to be on. I want to be on the Titan Games so badly, but I don't know if they take Canadians. Oh, come on. If they see you train, you're in there. I hope so. I hope so. I, I, it looks awesome. Like I just watch it and I'm like, this is amazing. And they actually had, uh, like, obviously I've, you know, gone into the CrossFit world now, but they had a, a former pro snowboarder on there. And I was like, Oh, come on. Like I, I want, I want an invite. So I'm trying to figure it out. Maybe I could make that happen and maybe we could, uh, we can compete together. <laughs> Absolutely. That'd be dope. Awesome. So I want to dive into the, the training side of things now. And um, I really appreciate you, you know, being so open and vulnerable about your story, because I think that your story can impact so many. And now when it comes to the training side of things, how has your training evolved with, with rugby? Like, where did you start with your training? What type of training were you doing? And then what type of training are you doing now for your Olympic dreams? So for me, when I first started off training, uh, to be completely transparent, I started off training I was just training because I wanted to get so much pain out of me because of all the things I've been through. So it was just, it was just all about, you know, that mental therapy and getting all that pain out of me. You know, it worked, you know, to a certain point where I had to transition into purpose. And I think that's very important because with comes purpose comes intent. So now my training is more intentional. Yes, I'm training for the Olympics, and I'm actually training for two sports, <laughs> but the training style now is more educational for the people that support me. You know, like I said, it's more intentional. It's more specific and catered to my actual goals rather than just trying to get some pain out of my body, you know, or getting that therapy that I need mentally. And it's actually more fulfilling, you know, because people have always been able to relate to me, but now because I'm being more open now, because I'm being more educational with what I'm posting, you know, I feel like I'm growing that much better relationship with the people that support me. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people can relate with their fitness journey because even myself, like I, I got into CrossFit because I was dealing with the identity loss of not no longer being a national athlete in snowboarding. And so for a lot of times I was spending six hours a day, you know, crushing myself in the gym just because I was dealing with this pain and this mental health and all these issues from that. And then 
how have you, how did you make that transition and shift and how have you kept that fire and that fuel? Because I think sometimes that pain is the fuel. And sometimes when people get over that, they don't have that fire anymore. So how have you kept it going? The funny thing about it is I've been like this since I was in grammar school, since high school. Like I've always had, like I always, the the word I use, always had that dog mentality. (laughs) I've always had that work ethic, that drive. Like anybody that really knows me, they can tell you I've been like that since grammar school, since high school. And, you know, like David Goggins said, you know, building that kind of calluses on your brain, like doing it for so many years, you know, it's just like fine wine. You only get better with time. And people gravitate towards that energy. That's the big thing about me that people love so much. It's the energy. You know, it's not that I'm doing a super crazy workout, but, you know, it's the energy. It's the fire and that, that eye of the target that you can see when you look at me that I really love what I'm doing. Mm, I love that. I think that's the key right there. Like passion is the main ingredient to success, passion, and then, you know, purpose and intention. Absolutely. So walk me through like a day in your life with managing your training and your clients. What does a day in traps life look like? So a day in my life, I, it depending on when my first client is, I usually wake up around 5am or 6am. Lately it's been 6am and then I train so right now it is, what time is it in Chicago? It's almost 11 here in Chicago. I've trained about seven clients already. Wow. <laughs> so, so yeah. So after I do, do, get done with my, my clients, that's when I train myself. So it's like I transitioned from Charles until like, you know, Superman goes into the, <laughs> the phone booth and transition to Superman. So I transitioned from Charles to traps. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just how it is after that. So I train it just depends on the program that day, roughly about an hour on the minimum, no longer than an hour and a half after that I do my recovery. And with recovery, you know, it could be foam rolling, it could be ice baths, Epsom salt, cold baths, deprivation tanks. Like it really goes really deep as far as me, because if I'm going to compete with the best of the best, I have to train and recover with the best of the best. Yes. And it doesn't stop there, you know, after that, I have to work on my online programming and you got to dive into the brand. So, it, you know, it's always a full day, but it's not overwhelming because I've learned to work hard, but I've also learned to work smarter as well. You know, I think there's a disconnect when people say don't work hard, work smart. I say, why not do both? Yeah, I, th- I totally agree. I think hard work is like the buy-in. And then from there, how can you be more productive with it? Because if all the top athletes are working hard, then you got to figure out the way to recover better, to train smarter so that you can make the the most of your 24 hours because we all have the same 24 hours. Absolutely. And I've, I've gotten away from saying, Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. You can like, you can be busy, but are you productive? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Are you producing? It's just like running on a treadmill versus running outside. You can run in a treadmill all day and not go anywhere. But once you run outside, you know, it's a different atmosphere. Yeah, it's like the uh, the the marketing gurus and the business uh, owners that flex their calendar that's full of twelve hours of back to back to back Zoom meetings, and I'm like, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. That doesn't look productive. It just looks busy. Yeah, it's like that's that's how it looks so draining. It's like, what comes from that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah, absolutely crazy. So, what does a training session look? for you uh now like what are you focusing on strength speed power and you also mentioned earlier that you're doing you're training for two sports yes i am training for two sports i am training for rugby sevens and also drum roll mm, 
bobsled. Ah, yes, I love it. We've had a few people on here who are training for bobsled, and I think that's like that's like the new thing. Like, there's a lot of athletes transitioning. I think it's so cool. Yeah, it just it looks it it looks so much so fun to me. You know, I can put all the force I have in my body on this sled and push it as hard as I can, and not have to worry about anything. (laughs) So I think that is so dope. But uh, actually, my other good friend, Aja Evans, she's an Olympian bobsled as well. She got me into that. So I'm thankful for the people that I am connected to because they they are forcing me outside of my comfort zone. And I really do appreciate that. Um, But as far as like the training style for me, I'm not really focused more so on strength because I'm naturally strong as an ox. I can lift all day. I'm more so transitioning to power, explosion, working fast twitch, uh, turnover speed, um, acceleration, deceleration agility, you know, core strength, everything is centered around putting everything inside one package. And depending on the sport, which one ever presents itself first, that's, that'll be my main focus. So for rugby, I have to put all that in one, including endurance. For bobsled, right. uh, not so much. You know, you need that power, <laughs> that force production, and that strength. You don't necessarily need, you know, turnover. You know, you're only going to get so fast pushing a hundred or whatever, a couple hundred pounds sled anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Like those two different sports, like we were talking about before that you do have to have that endurance component for rugby, but bobsled, probably the least amount. It's almost similar to Olympic weightlifting where it's just a few seconds of power and then it's done. Yeah, definitely. And like people don't know it, but bobsledders, like they are huge. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. You would think they're like bodybuilders. Like some of those guys, I'm like, sheesh, like they, they are huge, like tree trunks for legs, like 20 inch biceps. I'm like, Oh my God. It, it is crazy. So when I, when I was on the national snowboard team, we would train out in Whistler. And of course there's a big bobsled track there. So, um, at the national team training center, that's where all the different teams from all around the world would come and train as well for bobsled. So I met a lot of like the national bobsled athletes from different countries. And, uh, at that time I was already getting into CrossFit. So I was like doing muscle ups and things. And so they would come and try and, oh my gosh, trying to see them lift, like, you know, 250 pounds of pure muscle uh, and they were trying to do these gymnastics movements it was hilarious it was such a good time yeah people i mean people don't realize how hard crossfit really is like it's it's tough like the programmer whoever came up with that genius (laughs) oh yeah seriously and there's a lot of crossfitters transitioning into the bobsled world now really yeah, especially on the girl side, there was, uh, I think, about three or four that I saw. And then the the current uh, CrossFit Games champion for the past, I forget if she's won three or four years in a row now. Um, she's going to be uh, doing bobsled for Team Australia. And um, there's a couple girls in Team USA, I know, that I don't know if they made, like, the senior team but they're at least on the development team and they went to go train in utah and all that stuff um in canada you know what i actually i was always they were always trying to recruit me when i was uh training there but i was scared and they're like well you go and hit all these jumps on your snowboard how are you scared i'm like no 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 i'm too scared but now i have regrets because i'm seeing all the crossfitters are getting into bobsled and it seems like a really cool vibe now yeah definitely i mean I, I know you talk, you're talking about uh, Tia, uh, Tia Toomey. I don't want to mispronounce her name. Yes. I think that's, yes, yeah. she is a freaking beast. 
and she's one of the smaller CrossFit athletes. Like I think she only weighs one thirty something compared to uh, a lot of those girls in the U.S. who are trying to do bobsled. They're like one sixty, but she is stronger than them. Like pound, like not even pound for pound. Like she she wins all the weightlifting events at the games, even though she's like thirty pounds lighter. Wow. And I'm sure she's like she's just like stronger than Ox. So she'll do she'll be perfect for that. Yeah, it's absolutely mind blowing. I mean, she's just and she moves efficiently. I'm sure she'll pick it up quickly. So that seems really cool. I'm I'm excited to see you dive into the bobsled world because it seems like right now it's like an explosion on of eyes on that sport. Absolutely. I'm just, you know, just I just wanna do everything that I can while I still can. I don't like I said, I don't wanna leave here. You know, wishing I should have did this or should have did that. I just don't want to live with that on my conscience. So if, my, if I can get in anything, I'm gonna do it. You know, just <laughs> be versatile. Hey, show people that you know you can do anything you really put your mind to, and you're really you're really willing to work for. I love that. That's awesome. So um, if there were three, like you've done so many different you know sports and trainings, if there are three exercises that you had to pick to do for the rest of your life, and you could only do these three, what would those three exercises be? Three exercises would be the first one will be running. Of course, um, I love running. You can go as fast as you want, you can go as slow as you want, and you can always get a great workout because it's always going to be challenging. Right. Uh, the second one, you know, a lot of people would not agree with me on this would be burpees. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I would pass on the burpees. Never, never make me do them. <laughs> you know, it's like I love like my style of training is I love doing it for the mental barrier that it's going to present. And being able to push through that, it's like when you really feel like you're going to tap out, you really have that much more to go. It's like when people train at a high heart rate, you know, they're like 170. I'm like, you really got more in you, you know, because you can go to about 190, get about 99% of your heart capacity and you'll be fine. But it's also also about are you willing to go into that, that dark place? Yeah. And the last thing would be, hmm. I like some power cleans. Oh, yeah. That's what I agree with. I love power cleans. I'm with you on that. Yeah, it's like, you know, power cleans, I feel so strong. You know, I can load up as much weight as much weight as I'm able to bear. You know, I think there's something, you know, something so dope about that. It's like you just, all the power, all the aggressions, let it all out. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love power cleans. It makes me miss them because, uh, up here, obviously it's super snowy outside. So I do have a barbell, but there's nowhere really inside that I can safely use it. Um, so I, I haven't been able to power clean in forever at the gym. I go to, you're not allowed to drop weights and the gym's only just open last week. So, uh, oh, I miss it so much. I can't wait till the, the snow is gone and I can get back to power cleaning. Just being there, like knocking stuff all over, tearing things up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to build an outdoor gym. It'll be awesome. Absolutely. So uh, I know we, we kind of covered, I wanted to ask you about some recovery tips, but we talked about that. You went, you did the cold baths and things like that. Do you use any like high tech stuff? Like do you wear wearables to track your recovery? Uh, do you track your sleep? Is there anything that you do with that? No, I actually don't currently, but I am uh, going to start working with someone that does uh, do realms of sleep. They ask, they're actually an expert in that. So that's okay. something I'm diving into. Like, I feel like I get pretty, pretty good sleep. And I don't, I don't wake up groggy or like, like I don't want to get up. Stuff like that. I, I, I wake up pretty fine. You know, it's just me. For me, it's more so 
getting more sleep. So some days it's not consistent. Some days I might get six, I might get seven, I might get four, you know? So it really is finding that consistency so I can, so I can allow my body to actually recover the way it should. Yeah. I think people really overlook sleep. So it's good that you're, you're diving into that because a lot of people just think like, especially, you know, managing being an off athlete and entrepreneur and having to wake up early to coach clients, it could be easy to kind of skip out on that sleep, but that is really like the key. And I want to, you know, instill that into anyone listening, like sleep is like the free recovery hack. It definitely is. Like if you sleep, if you sleep properly and you eat fairly, okay, like you don't have to do all this extra stuff well at least not if you're like if you're not a you know professional athlete and stuff like that they have to do those types of things but right. you know if you're right. looking to have a healthier lifestyle oh my god sleep is sleep is your best friend like i used to have that mentality of grind 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 no sleep no sleep no sleep i'm like that was so dumb of me i'm like no what no wonder why i'm burnt out no wonder why i'm at a point where i don't want to do train anymore you know i'm sleep deprived um and like it, it's so important. Well, there's a reason why, you know, you see the movies and the way that they, you know, torture people or whatever is sleep deprivation. Like there's a reason. Absolutely. I, I agree. I and mean, then like they promote it, but people are like, no, nah, you know, I don't want to do that. But I'm like, I'm like, okay. All right. Yeah. People would rather buy a, you know, a magic pill, I think, than do the things that are free and easy and make the biggest difference. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no like, and it's like, there's no secret to this, you know, it's just about, you know, finding what works for you. I think that's important. Yeah. A hundred percent. So I always, I always end things off with two, uh, two questions. Um, and so you can answer short or long, however you'd like, but the first one is what is one thing, just one thing that you do every single day that is the biggest game changer in your life? I, I put myself first when I wake up in the morning. I think that's been the biggest game changer for me because I put so many other people before me and I've poured into them so much that I didn't have anything left for myself. So nowadays, the first thing I do, I pray, I meditate for a few minutes, you know, and then I attack my day. Like I won't even talk to anybody if I haven't put myself first because I know my energy is going to be off. So and that, that goes in lines with self-care, self-love, and, you know, pouring, in, pouring into your own cup because you can only pour from an empty cup for so long until eventually you're just going to you're going to snap because you don't have anything left. So that's what I do. Mm, I love that. And then the last question is, if you're you're looking back from your deathbed, what is the impact that you wanted to have made during your life? That people knew that I wasn't perfect, but, you know, I tried. I tried to impact as many people as I can. It was from a good place and that he showed the world that no matter what they say is impossible, no matter how many times you've been counted out, no matter how many times you've been knocked down by life, you know, traps always got back up and fought another round. I love that. And I think, you know, just hearing your story now, it'll definitely impact a lot of people. And 
especially, you know, hearing that you've, you've been through it all, you've, you've got out of rough situation, and you made it to the military, and then you went through another rough situation with homelessness and things like that. And then you made it into becoming a business owner. And then you've gone through the grind and, you know, making it hopefully to, to the Olympics, I hope to be able to watch you there. Absolutely. And who knows? I might be watching you on bobsled or Titan games. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know what? Maybe you're, you're inspiring me that maybe it's not, maybe it's not too late. Maybe I should uh, email the Canadian uh, bobsled team and see, I feel like it's maybe too late for the next, uh, next season because it's so close and everyone has their, their teams and trials, but maybe it's not, who knows? Actually, they're in season right now, so you got a few months. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, yeah, you, you're pressing me into it. You know, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna look up their website and, and see. <laughs> I'm gonna stay on you. I'm on you now. You've already, you've said it on the podcast now, so now you have to stick to it. Yeah, now it's official. Now people are gonna message me <laughs> and be like, "What happened with this bobsled thing?" All right, exactly. well, I'll, I'll see if it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you coming on, uh, being open, vulnerable, sharing your story. And I, I'm so inspired and I know other people will be as well. So thank you. Thank you as well, Natalie, for taking the time out and allowing me to share my story and impact other people. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.